Hi, welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Alex Papas, Senior Pastor at Oceans Unite Christian Center. Well, it's so great again to see you all, even though I swallowed a bug. <laughs> I still can't believe that happened, but anyway. So <clears throat> we're going to dive into the message in just a moment. For those of you that are here maybe for the first time, we are in the middle, well, we've just begun a series on the book of Revelation, and we're on part number two today, so we're actually going to be starting chapter number two, verse number one, and um, we'll be getting into that this morning, so welcome, and if you were not here last week, you can go and get the message, I believe it's on YouTube, it's most definitely on OceansUnite.tv. If you haven't signed up for OceansUnite.tv, it's completely free. Go ahead and sign up. We have lots of free content on there, which is great and powerful and encouraging and kids stuff and all kinds of things. So I kind of want to just pick up just from one scripture out of Revelation 1, chapter number, uh, Revelation chapter number 1, verse number 19, just to kind of lay out a map for us about where we are and where we're going. Revelation 1.19 says, write these things which you have seen, and we'll stop there. In chapter number one, we see how John encounters the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very powerful encounter when he sees the Lord for the first time in his glory. We see sees him completely different to what he had seen him before, and it's a very powerful picture of what he sees, and the Lord wants him to write about this encounter. As we go further on in the book, you'll actually see how the Lord reveals even more and more of himself to us, how Jesus reveals more of himself to us throughout the book. In, even, even in the addresses to the churches, he refers to himself in certain ways, which we'll see in every letter. It's very powerful. But we see that the first part is write these things which you have seen, this encounter, and what you're about to experience with me as I share with you. That's what Jesus is saying. And then the things which are, and we believe that this is the address to the seven churches in Asia, in Asia Minor. And that's what we're starting today, the address to the seven churches. Today we'll cover the church at Ephesus. Most biblical scholars, or even in your Bible, it'll say the loveless church. It's an interesting title, I think, because I don't know if you could really call it the loveless church, but maybe you could call it the church that could have lost its first love. Maybe that would be more appropriate. I don't know. You decide at the end of this teaching and as you study the scriptures. He goes on then and he says, and the things which will take place after this, and that's where Revelation chapter number four begins, and we look at future events. And we'll get into that as we dive deeper and deeper into the series. This morning, we're gonna be talking about Ephesus, and I wanna give you just a little bit of background so you can understand a few things that are important when diving into this letter, into this address. Ephesus was one of the largest cities, but not the largest. It was also not the capital. Pergamum was the capital of Asia Minor, but it was most definitely the culture center of the day. It was a very thriving city. It was a great city. It, was, it had an amazing metropolis, beautiful place. But it, in the midst of all of this, Ephesus was a city that was full of idol worship. And this is important for you to understand because you'll find that two of the addresses to Ephesus and to Pergamum, in those two addresses, idol worship is really a center or, or very, very 
a major part of what is addressed. So we know that Ephesus was full of idol worship, witchcraft, all that kind of thing. And I wanna show you just real quick, and then we'll talk a little bit more about it, just a little video clip of, in Ephesus there was a temple of, to Artemis, one of, the, one of the gods of that time, and it was a great center for this, where the biggest temple of Artemis was actually in Ephesus. And so just a quick little four-minute video just to give you an idea of what it was like. Let's quickly go there. Artemis of the Ephesians. When Paul preached the gospel in Ephesus, his success in converting Gentiles there from the worship of idols to the worship of the one God and God's Messiah set off a powder keg. Before long, a certain Demetrius, a maker of souvenir silver replicas of the goddess Artemis, had rallied thousands of the city's citizens to gather in the theater pictured here to protest Paul's activity. One can almost still hear the echoes of the chant they took up for two whole hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Acts chapter 19, verses 21 through 41. Why would the citizens react to Paul by holding a kind of Artemis revival in the theater? Artemis was worshipped in many of the cities of Asia Minor, but Ephesus was home to the greatest temple of the goddess. Today, very little remains of this great temple of Artemis. After the Christianization of the empire, the perfectly cut stones of the derelict temple were quarried for new buildings, for example, the medieval fortress that now sits on the brow of the hill overlooking the neighboring city of Selchuk. In Paul's time, however, the great temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world and a major destination for pilgrims and tourists from all across the Mediterranean. At 450 feet in length and 225 feet in width, the roof was supported by more than 120 towering columns. Artemis was not known in this region in her Greek dress. Rather, she was often portrayed as a mother figure, her chest covered with symbols of fertility flanked by two deer. Scholars debate whether these symbols should be understood as breasts, eggs, or even the testicles of bulls. It is clear, however, that the more ancient worship of the mother goddess of the region was joined with the worship of Artemis when the region became part of the Greek Empire in the 4th century BCE. There was also a smaller temple of Artemis that stood beside the city hall and council chamber in Ephesus. Near the turn of the era, a portion of this temple was dedicated to the worship of Julius Caesar. After Julius Caesar was assassinated, the Senate of Rome declared him to be a god. The city elders of Ephesus consecrated this temple also to the worship of Julius Caesar as a sign of their loyalty to the new regime of his adopted son, the Emperor Augustus. Many inscriptions bear witness to the importance of both Artemis and the worship of the emperor for the life of the city. This inscription begins with a dedication to both Ephesian Artemis and Augustus. Artemis was so closely linked with the prestige and well-being of the city that the Ephesians laid particular claim to her as, in some sense, their own. The inscription goes on to recognize one Vibius Gaius as Philartemis Kai Philos Sebastos, a friend of Artemis and friend of Augustus. What gives Vibius honor in this city is his piety toward, and perhaps his financial support of, the cults of Artemis and the emperor in the city. Artemis was the patron goddess of Ephesus and its principal claim to fame. In such a city, 
Paul was destined to run into trouble. His proclamation of one and only one God threatened the city's very identity and its claim to fame, not to mention the livelihood of the craftsmen like Demetrius, whose trade depended upon the reputation and worship of Artemis of the Ephesians. The riot that resulted in the theater shows us the importance of the traditional gods like Artemis to the identity and livelihood of the cities in which Paul proclaimed his revolutionary gospel. All right, so you get a small taste there of just how serious it was when it comes to idol worship, false religion, false god worship. In fact, you know, we look at this and you misunderstand that culturally in those days, in that ancient world, you know, it's, 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 there's a far greater ancient world where we look in the Old Testament, but even in the early church days, they were still very, very much, you know, participating in this false god worship Artemis, who was like a woman uh, god, you know, the goddess, which is a Greek god originally, but as they say, they, they almost claimed her as their own and believed that their blessings and things came from that. As you heard there, Demetrius, the story in, in, in the book of Acts where we can see that there was a, a conflict because they would make statues and stuff and their business was going bad because Paul was preaching about the only God and the people of Ephesus were actually burning their, their false idols and their false things and it was bad for business. But I want you to try and understand now maybe when you think about the letter to the Ephesian church, you'll understand the nature of Paul's writing. Paul is writing, he talks about the full armor of God. He talks about the battle is not against flesh and blood or the wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. He'd been stoned, they tried to kill him because he was preaching about one God and one God only. Are you with me? So he understood that the war was so real and it was a spiritual battle that was taking place between these deities, these false gods, false religions against the one true and only God. And so the church in Ephesus was in the midst of this culture at that time where there was all this false religion and false, you know, false gods and stuff like that. Also kind of imagine this, that in, in the midst of all of this, there was sorcery and witchcraft taking place and don't for one second think that there was no power. There was power. It was just false. It's hard for us to imagine, but you guys are all okay with Harry Potter. Okay? What I mean by that is don't think that those guys didn't really see things happen. They did. Now imagine the church coming into town. I want you to recognize that when they came into town, power was necessary. Paul preached a message with signs and wonders and miracles because God had to show up when he came into town. Are you with me? He had to prove that this was the only true God. There's no question. That's why Paul says when he preaches to the church in Corinth, I did not come to you with words of wisdom. He said, but I came with a demonstration of power. You know, because I want you to put your faith in the power of God, not the wisdom of man. We can convince people with lots, lots of things, but truly, it's the love and power of God that changes lives. Amen. Amen. So that just kind of sets the scene. Before we dive into it, just quickly put the map on for me of the churches in Asia Minor, please. I just want to show the guys. So here you can see, there's Patmos at the bottom in the ocean, and then you see Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Theatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. That's actually the order in which the letters are written and it's very interesting, today's message is first, and the primary focus is first love. 
And it's also the first letter. It's amazing how there's just no mistakes in Scripture. Everything is written perfectly. Amen. Now think about it. This church was something else. We're talking about the church that Aquila and Priscilla attended. We're talking about the church that Paul established, that Timothy was the pastor. We know that Peter went through there. We know that John spent much of his time there. And after writing this letter, most theologians agree that he went back to the church at Ephesus and spent his last days there. In fact, they say that his grave is in Ephesus. Mary, the mother of Jesus, her grave is in Ephesus as well. That's where she spent and attended church. So it was a fantastic church. Yet, even in the midst of this, and Jesus is gonna compliment this church, there was something very important that was starting to go amiss, or they were starting to move in a direction that could have caused trouble. So let's dive right into it and go to Revelation 2, verse number one. I'm gonna try my best to break it down for you and just, let's just look at what the scriptures say, where there's things that we can look at, symbols and, and, and allusions. I'll show you those things, but, but let's, let's just read scripture for what it says. Is that okay? All right, verse number one, Revelation 2, verse number one, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Let's stop there so that you understand exactly who he's addressing. First of all, he's addressing the angel, to the angel. Do we all agree? To the angel of the church of Ephesus. That's who the letter is written to. And obviously that letter will then be shared with the congregation and every one, of those, every one of us in the church must adhere to this letter. But the address, it was written to the angel of the church of Ephesus. That's who it's written to. Now, I shared with you last week how the word angel is the word angelos. And that word angelos is also used in Scripture in other places. One example is when it's written about John the Baptist it says, my messenger, John the Baptist, the word messenger is the word angelos. So in other words, angelos is not only angel, it's also messenger. My personal belief is that he's not writing to an angel, but writing to the messenger of the church of Ephesus. Amen. And if you look at last week's, you know, you can go look at it, the scriptures are there, you can go and cross-reference if you want. So it seems as though he's addressing the pastor or bishop of the church of Ephesus. Take note, he's not writing to the board of directors. He is writing to the angel or the messenger, so I would be the angel. <laughs> Amen. Don't forget, you can call me Angel Alex, okay, from now on. All right? Your pastor is an angel. Anything but, amen, but we won't get into that. <laughs> and this I take very seriously because you must realize that the pastors or the leaders of the church, they are the ones who God will hold accountable for what happens in that church. It's a very serious thing. And so the address is to him, the, the messenger, the angelos, the angel, we don't know for sure, it seems like it's the pastor or the lead pastor. So in this case, it's Ephesus, it's to Timothy. And we all know that Paul wrote to Timothy, he was greatly beloved, and we know that he was a very successful pastor. No question about it. Many people believe that the church at Ephesus at this time grew up to possibly 100,000 members. This was a great church. 
But this address came to him, and I believe he took it very seriously. Now, he says to the angel, pastor or bishop of the church of Ephesus, write these things who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Now, let's go quickly to Revelation 1.20 because I want to make sure you understand. Revelation 1.20, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. The seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. Now watch, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So he says, let's go back to Revelation 2, verse number one. He says to the angel, which we believe could be pastor or bishop. I don't necessarily believe that he wrote it to an angel itself. Of the church of Ephesus, write these things who holds the seven stars in his right hand. We know the seven stars are the seven angels or seven pastors. Now it's interesting because he says here, these things, says he who holds the seven stars or the seven angels or seven pastors, probably pastors, in his right hand. Jesus is saying that they are in his hand. They are in his control. Are you with me? And it's also interesting that he doesn't say left hand. He says right hand. And that's important because in Scripture, the right hand is always referring to authority. Power. Where does Jesus sit? At the right hand of the Father. God will uphold you with his mighty right hand. Jesus has the seven stars. They are in his hand. The callings and the giftings and the, the, from God come from him. In fact, it's interesting because the Bible refers to the fivefold ministries as the gifts of Christ. So he's the one who holds these gifts, these stars, these ministries in his hand. He's the one in control. He's the one with authority and power in the church. Can you say amen? It says, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So Jesus is the one who walks in the church. Now the seven golden lampstands we know are the churches. And he's talking about addressing these seven churches. So he's the one who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands or in these churches. In other words, he is the one who has examined these churches. He is the one who has come and looked and seen what is going on in every one of these churches. And don't think for one second that he's not doing it right now. He is examining every church, every ministry on the planet. He is the one who walks in the midst of those churches. I'm talking about true churches. He is the one that walks in those churches. He is the one who checks everything in those churches. Now watch, I can confirm that because in verse number two, he starts by saying this, I know your works. In other words, I know works is what you do. I know what you are doing. Jesus is the one who walks in the midst of the churches. He's the one who knows everything that we are doing. He knows every motive. He knows every, every I, every T. He knows everything going on in every single church on the face of the planet. 
And he wants you to know that when he talks about these churches, he's examined them, he's been in them, he knows what they're doing, he knows what they're saying, he knows their beliefs, he knows what's being taught, he knows what the people are doing, he knows everything. I know your works. And then he goes on and he says, now he's about to talk about the church and what they do. I know your works, he's about to break it down. He says, your labor, and the word labor in the Greek is the word kopos, kopos, and that actually doesn't just mean labor, it actually means hard work, hard work. In other words, the church in Ephesus, their works, they were not just works, they were hard work. They were a church that labored. They did hard work. In order for them to grow the way that they did, they must have done hard work. They must have been very intentional about their ministry. They must have been very intentional about the work that God had called them to do. The Bible says, Jesus says, I know your works. And then he says, your patience. Your patience. And the word patience is the word hupomene. And it means not only patience, but it also means perseverance and endurance. Perseverance and endurance. In other words, the Lord is saying, listen, I know your works. I know your hard work. I know your patience, your perseverance, your endurance. In other words, you're a church that just does not give up. You're a church that keeps on going. You're a church that means business for the things of the kingdom. You're placed in Ephesus where there's all kinds of witchcraft and sorcery and you guys are serious about the work of God. You guys are working hard. You guys are striving. You don't give up. You've got patience. When you get knocked down, you get back up. When they decided to stone you, you got back up and you carried on going. That's how the Lord addresses this church. Now remember... Paul has gone on to be with the Lord already when this letter is written. This church is already well established, grown. It's a mature body. It's a mature church. And the Lord is complimenting this church. He goes on and he says, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. I honestly believe that he's actually addressing more people that come into the church than anything else that come in with wrong and evil motives. And I'll prove this by what he says next. But take a look at something because many people will read this and say, well, you know, that's good because I also, I also hate evil people. And that's not what he's saying. He says, they say this, they say, you cannot bear, Jesus says, you cannot bear those who are evil. And the word evil there is oh, actually the word bear there, sorry, the word bear there is the word bastazo, bastazo. And actually the word bastazo is, is better interpreted as accept. In other words, you don't accept those who are evil. Those who come into the church, I believe, that have got their own agenda, that have got their own doctrine that's contrary, it's evil, it's not good, it's not gonna draw people to God. You can't bear them, you, you don't accept them. Another interpretation would be to lift them up or to raise them up so you don't promote them. Are you with me? You don't accept them, you don't promote them. Those that do evil, you don't accept those things. And, and look at what he says in, the next, in, in, the, in the, the next part of the verse. He says, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. You see, when people would come to Ephesus, 
this new apostle would show up in town. He'd have his fancy golden business card, you know. He looked, he had this awesome suit. He looked apart. He arrived in his Testarosta Ferrari, so he's got to be very successful, you know. He arrives there. He's, the great apostle gets out the car. He's, you know, the, when he stands up, his hair blows with the wind. You know, he's just, you know, he just looks the part, you know. He's, you know, look at him. He's successful, you know. He's an apostle, you know. He's arrived in Ephesus, the greatest, one of the greatest cities in Asia Minor, and he's about to, to come in. He walks into the church at Ephesus. He goes to the leadership. He says, listen, I just want you to know I come from Ethiopia. I've traveled a long way. And I'm ready. I want to tell you, look, I'm successful. I'm going to preach the gospel. But the Bible says that they tested them. They tested everybody that came in. They tested everybody that says, listen, I've arrived from this ministry. You see, people arrive in the church building and they go, Pastor Alex, you know, you need to know who I am. You need to know who I am. Well, tell me, who are you? Because by the sounds of things, I don't really want to know who you are. Are you with me? They tested them. And this is a commendation. Jesus is commending them because they test everyone that walks through those doors that says that I'm here to preach, I'm here to teach. You don't know where I come from. Are you with me? That's why it's important that we do that. And he's commending the church at Ephesus that they did this. In the same breath though, Think about this. All the apostles are dead, except John. He's the only living apostle at this time when this letter is written, which tells me that there were true apostles still in that time because they were testing the false ones, but they were also true ones, which means you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, which means that the five-fold ministry still applies today. There are still apostles, prophets, teachers, and evangelists. And listen... Don't say it's not important. It's in the Bible. It says you tested those who say they are apostles, not those who said, those who say. When they come into your church, you test them. You make sure that they are the real thing. You know, they come, Pastor Alex, you know, Pastor Alex, you know, you must let me prophesy. (laughs) Who are you? Well, you know, we don't like the fact that at Oceans they have to wear badges. Well, I've just made sure that we know them. And that when someone comes up to you and says, I want to give you a word, brother, that if they don't have a badge, you must know that we don't know them yet. We have not approved them yet, not because we think they're bad or evil, but because we don't know the fruit of that ministry yet. So that's why here at Oceans, we have badges for our leaders. If you know someone, if, if I know Felicia and I know her, I've known her, maybe Pastor Alex in the church doesn't know her yet, but they'll find out that she's really great and she really is great, okay? But I know her so she can pray for me because I'm comfortable with her. Are you with me? So we don't say that you can't pray for someone. If someone knows you, you can, if they feel comfortable, you can, they can pray for you, whatever. Are you with me? But in terms of the church, it's our responsibility. Why is the Lord serious about this? Because you are his people. The church is his people. Well, you know, at our church, we just free. We just let everybody do whatever. Not at Oceans, people. And I honestly believe not at the church at Ephesus. When you came in there, they would grind you and find out who you are and want you to be a part of the church, test you out. And when you, when you stood the test of time, then they would give you the opportunity to minister and to be a part of the growing church. 
There's lots of opportunity, but how many of you know that we all have to start somewhere? And generally, it's near the bottom. Amen. If you don't say amen, you better say, oh my. <laughs> because the Lord commended them on doing this. <clears throat> Let's move on. And then he goes on in verse three and almost sort of over-iterates what he has just said. And you have persevered. Remember, he said you have patience, you have persevered, and have patience, you have endurance, and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. It confirms that this is a church that worked hard, that pressed in, that was growing, that was thriving. Everything looked really good, except there was one problem. And Jesus says this in verse number four. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. And this, when you read this, it's just, it just, it's like, it's just one of those things that hits you right between the eyes. You just didn't see it coming. You know, it's coming from a distance, but when it comes near, you just don't see it and bam, it hits you because you've missed it. You've missed what's most important. Remember, first letter written, first address to the church is what's almost most important. And as great as the church at Ephesus was, and they were a great church, he says, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now it's interesting because the word first there actually in the Greek is the word protos. And the word protos is actually better interpreted as early. So in other words, he wants you to know first, but not only first, actually early. In other words, what it was in the beginning. First, what it was early in your walk with me. You've left the early things. You've left what was first right at the beginning. And he says this, he says, he says remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. So he says early or first, and he says, now remember, go back. Go back to what it was like in the beginning. Now this is so important for all of us because when he talks about the first or early walk with him, he's addressing two things. He's addressing the body of Christ, but he's also addressing the church. Are you with me? So he's addressing the pastor of the church. Pastor, are you still, is the congregation still doing the first things? Are you still in love with me the way you were in the beginning? Are you still seeking me the way you were in the beginning? Church member, are you still in love with him the way you were right in the beginning? Do you still pursue him and love him and put him first like you did right in the beginning? Or has other things become more important? Think about how amazing this is. Because we're talking about a city where there's idol worship. Has anything else crept in and become like idol worship? Has anything else crept into your life and become more important? You can even get so caught up with all the church things that you forget about the most important thing. Which is the whole reason we do all of this which is to put him first, first above everything. Most scholars will say, well, remember the first works 
what you did right in the beginning. Remember what you did. What did you do? Most scholars will say, read the Bible, pray, you know, do those sort of things. Spend time with God, worship, minister. Many people in the beginning when they get saved, they have this passion. You know, I've seen many, many people that get a little Bible and they go around everywhere. They tell everybody about Jesus. Maybe some of you are shaking your head because you remember that you were just like that when you got saved. You were just like that. I had a big Bible in the beginning. <laughs> I didn't have a little one, so I would go around with my big one. I had a passion for the Lord. To the church, he's writing, and Timothy must be reading this before he presents it to the church, and I can imagine his heart must be breaking as he begins to think back about how the prayer meetings were, about how his instruction from Paul was, about how he would seek the Lord in this secret place and have a desire to see the whole of Ephesus transformed. He had this passion and this burning desire, and he's gotten so busy with all the labor and all the work of the church and good intentions, but forgotten the most important thing. Timothy, Timothy, how is it possible? If it can happen to him, it can happen to any one of us. If it can happen to a great church like the church at Ephesus, it can happen to any one of us. Now watch what he says because it's very powerful. Are you guys all okay? This morning, it's morning, amen. <laughs> Repent, in other words, change your mind, turn, go back to what you did in the beginning, do the first works. Before I go on, I must say this. You know, there's no prescribed order for this. You are an individual. You're different to me, and I'm different to you. What worked for me in the beginning Yes, there's certain things, the word prayer, those things are basic, foundational stuff. But maybe I'm someone that likes to be in worship more, in the word more. Whatever it was that drew me to him with all of my heart in the beginning, that's what I need to go back to. So I don't wanna prescribe anything to you. You must do what God puts in your heart and go for it. Go back to what it was like and listen to me. If you never had that at the beginning, it's time you have it now. It's time you have it now to have a hunger and a thirst. I've listened to people talk about the days of old and then this is what they say. Well, you know, now I'm mature. No, you dry. You're not mature, you've dried up. The living water has stopped flowing. The, the wells that were in you in the beginning that you couldn't contain when you would get in the car and drive, the wells that were in you when you would be in church and you couldn't help but weep because of the presence of God, the wells that were stirred up in the beginning, they've gone a little dry, now you mature. Yes, you mature, yes. Amen, brother. That's exactly what happened to the church at Ephesus. They were doing things, they were maturing. But watch what he says because it's, it's, it actually causes you to wanna shake do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. This is so important. The first letter, the first address, the first thing is your first love. Remember from where you came from. No mistake, this address is so important to a good church 
that could have lost its lampstand. And let me tell you, there are many churches that have not heeded this warning. And there is no lampstand. In other words, they do the business of church, but they are not a church. Don't get mad at me. Jesus said, I will remove your lampstand. One of the things that the seven flames, the seven lamps of the one seven, the lampstand, which is seven little lights, I shared with you about the seven spirits of God. We know that the menorah has the seven, the lampstand has seven flames. The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the understanding, the fear of the Lord, the seven flames of the one spirit of God. That lampstand, when it gets removed, the presence and illumination and the power of God will leave that church. And it can be the same in the life of a believer as well. The good news is that his warning, what does that mean? That means it's not too late, but if you don't repent, if you don't go back, you're gonna lose it. Don't go to a place that doesn't have the presence of God. Don't go to a place that doesn't have the presence of God. Well, you know, I need to make sure everything's... No, you need to be at a place where God's presence is, where there's light, where His power resides, where His presence is. Are you with me? No church is perfect. But one thing is more important than anything else in a church, and that is what is first in that church. And even the best can lose their way so easily. Man, I tell you guys, if you only knew how this is something that's in my heart every day, every day, Lord, don't let me lose my first love. Don't let me lose my passion for you. Or you know, you're too zealous, Pastor Alex. Thank you for the compliment. Thank you for the compliment. I wouldn't have it any other way. So this was the warning that I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I wanna give you a little bit of good news about the church at Ephesus. One of the church fathers, Ignatius, wrote a few years after this had the book of Revelation, the letters were released. Listen to what it says. He wrote about the church, and this was written many, many years ago, to the church at Ephesus. You who are the most holy church of the Ephesians, which is so famous and celebrated throughout the world, you being full of the Holy Spirit, so powerful. Do nothing according to the flesh, but all things according to the Spirit. You are, you are complete in Christ. I honestly believe that when the church at Ephesus received this letter, and most certainly for a long time after they received it, they made a decision that they were gonna put the Lord first again, that they were gonna do the first works again, that they were gonna go after God with all of their heart once again. And I do believe that at that time, things thrived again in that church. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap. That means that you can still turn and change, that you can still go back to your first love. That means that you can do the first works right again if you make a decision to turn. Amen. Now, it's very interesting because remember, I don't believe nothing in Scripture is done without purpose. Now, He's just warned them, but He's about to compliment them again. 
And this complement is extremely important because we're going to learn more about this in the third letter. And in that letter to the church at Pergamum, we're going to really dive into this, but I'll give you a little foundation today. So the Lord's just warned them, but He says, but this, verse number six, but this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Does he hate the Nicolaitans? No, he hates their deeds. He hates what they are doing. Now, the scholars agree, and I've looked at several church fathers, they agree that the Nicolaitans come from a character in Scripture called Nicholas. If you go to Acts chapter number six, let's go to Acts chapter number six, verse number three. It says, therefore, brethren, this is the apostles talking about how they're gonna begin to appoint people in the church. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose, interesting, Stephen, a man full of faith of the Holy Spirit. We all know the story of Stephen. How many of you know he was definitely full of faith in the Holy Spirit? He got stoned to death shortly after this. Philip, Philip is the one that went to Philip, that went to Samaria. It was not Philip the apostle. It was Philip the deacon that went to Samaria, that's the one who went to Samaria full of the Holy Spirit and demons screamed and people got healed. That's this Philip. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timonin, Parmenas, uh, and then watch here, and Nicholas, and it gives more detail about him for a reason. And Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. So we know there are two that are mentioned with more detail. The one is Stephen, Stephen full of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who mentioned, and then also Nicholas is mentioned, and they want you to know that he's a proselyte from Antioch. What is a proselyte? A proselyte is someone that goes from one religion to the next, or he's converted from one religion to the next. The scholars agree that he was born a Jew. Nicholas was born a Jew, but he grew up as a pagan. He was not a, a Christian. He was in paganism, so he was practicing false religions. He then converted to Judaism, and he was a Jewish, it was in Judaism, probably a scribe or something like that. And then from there, he converted to Christianity. So he'd been, he had pagan roots, became a, followed the Jewish religion, and then became a Christian. I want you to see that he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was chosen and full of the Holy Spirit. And again, this reference comes from at least two different church fathers, writers of that day that say that this is the one that the doctrine of the Nicolaitans comes from is this Nicholas. Isn't that interesting? That's all for free. <laughs> now, what is it about this doctrine? You see, he was of pagan descent, pagan roots, willing to switch fairly quickly. And what happened was, is that his doctrine or his deeds, you'll see that the Lord does not like his deeds or his doctrine. We'll find that out when we study the next book in, in two weeks' time. It, basically what it was is it was a religion that was mixed. It wasn't pure. 
and he was allowing some false worship. He was allowing some false worship to creep in. And there's more to it than just that. It became a stumbling block. You'll find out when we study the church at Pergamum that there were two doctrines, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and the doctrine of Balak and Balaam. Now, I want to say something before I get into what's going to be a little bit heavy, but that's okay because these letters are important. They're written to us so that we can draw closer to God, right? You know, the, the doctrine of Balak and Balaam, well, what's the story of Balak and Balaam? Well, we know that the prophet went to the king and the king said, listen, I want you to curse the children of Israel. And he tried and he couldn't because what God has blessed, no man can curse. So what he did was he went back to the king and said, listen, just send the beautiful woman to the men of Israel and they will basically curse themselves. They will fall and stumble and they will come under trouble. And the Lord is against anyone that would do anything like that, that would cause the church to mess with stuff that can pollute them or cause them to fall or stumble. Now, as I said, we'll dive into this a lot more but I want you to see how serious it was. Jesus wants us to walk in righteousness. He wants us to not be polluted and, and accept things into our walk that are false. So in other words, with, with the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, for example, it would be okay. You could be a Christian. Listen to this. You could be a Christian. You were saved. Listen, your spirit is saved forever. You're going to heaven. So your body is already going to be destroyed. So you can do with your body whatever you like. That's sort of the crux of it. You know, don't worry, you're saved. Once saved, always saved, right? But you know, your body can do whatever it wants and it's okay. You know, so you can go to the temple of Artemis and you'll be okay. This is sort of just very broadly. I will dive really, we're gonna, because when we talk about that, uh, the church at, at, at Pergamum, it's all about false religion and we're gonna really dive into it. Now Watch. So he says, let's read it again. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Who is he talking to? He's talking to all of us. If you have an ear to hear, Listen to what he says to all of these churches. Are you with me? He says, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Isn't that beautiful? He who overcomes, an overcomer is someone who makes it to the end. He who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of paradise, in the paradise of God. Listen to me, church. He's addressing the church at Ephesus, which is a good church, and he's warning them that if you don't go back to your first love, the state you're in right now is not so bad yet, but it's getting bad. It will eventually get to a place where you will lose your lampstand and things will fall apart. Are you with me? So it is in the life of all of us if we stop putting God first, if we slowly allow things to creep in, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, begin to allow things in our life that are not right, well, you know, we can just live how we want, just do what we like, it's all gonna be fine, we're gonna be okay, don't worry about it, our bodies will die, but our spirits will go, whatever. The warning is very clear. If he says those who overcome will eat, what does it mean if we don't? 
you decide. What I know is that I want to follow Him with my whole heart. I don't want to look for excuses or try and find something that suits what I believe so I can live a certain way. But God is looking for a holy people. Yes, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Absolutely. But He's looking for those that will always strive to serve Him with their whole heart. That will put Him first. I met with someone this week that said to me, Pastor Alex, I've been saved for so many years or so I thought. Now I'm really saved. I was living, I was living in, in, in a life of sin and I, I thought, well, I'm okay. He says, now I, I can see that I was fooled. I, I don't know how I could believe that I was okay. I never said it. Don't look at me and get mad at me. I'm telling you what he said. Amen. If you overcome, if you make it to the end, if you run your race, you know you will eat from that tree. Live every day serving him and walk. Listen, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. You don't have to worry about the devil in judgment day. The only one who decides is God. Jesus is the one who will stand and he will judge. We know he judges us for our sins. I mean, he judges us for the way we live on earth. He doesn't judge us for our sins. We know that. But understand that there's no question that there are consequences when we start to go down the wrong path that can eventually lead to losing that lampstand. It reminds me of the story of the 10 virgins. Oh, well, you know, that was only written to the Jews. Well, maybe it was, but I certainly think that we should pay attention. Five of them had oil in their lamps and five of them didn't. And when, when the Lord, the trumpet sounded and they had to go up for the feast, the, the doors were shut on the five that didn't have oil. I want you to know that means they were not let in. Well, well you know, that doesn't mean that, that means they made it to the inner part, not the outer part. Well, you decide. All I know is that it doesn't sound good for those on the outside. I don't know about you. I want to be on the inside. I want to be with the Lord. Can you say Amen. Don't think about how you can just make it to heaven. Think about how you can thrive in heaven. How you can walk with Jesus. How you can hold your head up proud when you get there and say, Lord, I've run my race. I finished strong. I made lots of mistakes and I'm so thankful for your grace, but I never gave up. I kept on running. I put you first. There was nothing else more important, Lord. I know that I did that with all of my heart. That's the way we should live our lives. That's the way we should walk. Can you say amen? Come on, give the Lord a big clap. Come on, give the Lord a big shout in this place. Serve Him with your whole heart. Put Him first. Put Him first. All right, now take your seats for just a moment. <laughs> and that's basically it. That's the first letter. First letter, first love. I think there's a reason for that. Written to one of the best churches. And the threat of losing the lampstand, man, I tell you, it puts the fear of God in me. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. For more teaching like this and other material, please visit our website at www.oceansunite.com.